Hey everybody and welcome to this episode of The Punchline where we're going to be doing the same kind of shit that we did last week where we're going to first break down the card that happened last weekend which was headlined by Justin Gaethje and Dustin Poirier which was a fucking war and then we'll talk about the fights coming up this coming weekend on April 21st in Atlantic City which were headlined by Edson Barboza and Kevin Lee. Uh, before we do that let's jump into some news. Uh, some pretty big fight announcements. Tyson Pedro is booked against Ovin St. Peru. Uh, they're getting put on the Fox card or the FS1 card. I can't remember which, but it's the one that's headlined by Cowboy Cerrone and Leon Edwards, which is a pretty good fight. This is a big addition to that card. And a real test for Tyson Pedro. He's going to be fighting one of the more elite guys at 205. 205 is kind of a top-heavy division, right? Like, when you think about that weight class, you always think Anthony Johnson, when he was there, Anthony Johnson, Gustafson, DC, Jones. Right, like those four kind of run the 205-pound division. But OSP is like right there with him. He's right on their heels. Um, so this is a big fight for Tyson Pedro. We're, we're really going to get a feel of how good this kid is and how good he can be after we're done with this fight. Uh, another big fight that got announced is Yancey Medeiros versus Mike Perry at UFC 226, which is going to be a barn burner because Yancey Medeiros has that like whatever is in the water in Hawaii is – I mean, look at Max Holloway and look at Yancey and the war he just had with, uh, was it Oliveira? Is that right? Cowboy Oliveira, UFC 218. I think I was there for that and I think that was his last fight. I might have it wrong. I think that's right. But And then Mike Perry has incredible knockout power and he's a pretty tough dude. He showed you, he showed you that in that fight against uh, Ponzinibbio. And there's another big fight that just got announced that I was just reading about a few minutes ago. Oh, Tatu Ivasa versus Andre Arlovsky at UFC 225. The UFC 225 card is fucking stacked. I don't want to skip over 224 because I am excited to see what happens when Amanda Nunes defends her title against Pennington. I think that's an interesting matchup. But, oh, my God. Who, who's all fighting on that? I know Clegweed is on there. Uh, Colby Covington's fighting Rafael Dos Anjos for the interim title at 170. Um, I could probably just look it up. It would be easier to rattle shit off. Um, CM Punk's fighting on there. Agree or disagree with the fact that he should be in the UFC. It's entertainment value. It's going to get the UFC some pay-per-view buys. Holly Holmes fighting on there. It's a stat card, man. There's not a fighter on the entire card, whether it's prelims or not, that you're not going to know. It's a, it's a big card. And I mean, not to take anything away from 224 coming up, but it just doesn't quite have the star power that this one does. I think that's pretty well known and understood. But, uh... The next thing is, it's not so much news, it's more of a discussion topic. We need to talk about how fucking good Michael Chandler is. He is an animal, and he just picked up a win this past weekend. Um, not, I don't want to say he doesn't get enough attention, because I think he's very well respected within the MMA community. He's well known, people know that he's legit. I think he could hop out of Bellator and go over to the UFC and compete in the top three, no problem. No transition needed. He's a he's a elite level athlete, and he... Has incredible work ethic. And and for Michael Chandler, I don't think you have to go to the UFC. I think you've built a name for yourself in Bellator. I think you're probably the best fighter at 155 pounds in that organization. Why move? You don't need to go to the UFC. Like, I don't think Michael Chandler... Would I love to see Michael Chandler fight guys like Khabib and Tony Ferguson and Kevin Lee and Edson Barboza? Absolutely. Fuck yeah, I would. I would love to see that and see how he fares against those guys. But I don't think he needs to. I think organizations like Bellator are good. I think they need to have athletes like Michael Chandler on the roster. The addition of guys like Rory McDonald and Gegard Mousasi are massive because Rory McDonald, in my I think he's the best 170-pounder in the world. And the fight that he just had with Douglas Lima shows you how good the competition really is in Bellator. I mean, I still think it's, it's always going to play second fiddle to the UFC, but... That's okay. It doesn't have to beat the UFC as long as there's another organization out there that is has entertainment value and is putting on good fights with high-level high level athletes. I think that's important. I don't think they have to. I mean, obviously, they're always going to be competing with the UFC and stuff, but I don't think they have to topple them or anything. I don't think the UFC should worry so much about what Bellator is doing. Just keep doing what you're doing and let Bellator do what they're doing and let the fighters go where they want to go. I mean, the UFC brass probably doesn't agree with me on that, but I think that... I don't think it's a bad thing that more than one organization exists. Um, all right, let's let's move on. Let's break down uh, the last fight card that happened. On this one, picks wise, I went one and three, 
and that puts me at three and six overall now for the past two fights. And uh, if you were betting, so what I do is I do, if you were to place $10 on every individual fight based on the Bovada odds, and that's just to keep it consistent, it's just the one that I decided to pick, and uh, no parlaying or anything, just individual, right? And I just do these for fun. I don't bet on fights, by the way. I've done it before, but I went to Vegas, and I bet, I parlayed three people together. I parlayed Raya Faber, Max Holloway, and Kevin Lee. I think it was Kevin Lee's debut against Ally Quinta. And Kevin Lee was a massive favorite. And I was only, I only bet like 30 bucks. I was like, oh, this is a true win. I'm going to win. And Lee was the guy on the card that I remember thinking, he's going to beat this dude's ass. Like, he's a, he's got a lot of hype around him and stuff. And then he fucking lost. So I don't really bet on him that often. But I just like to run the numbers just for fun. And thank God I don't bet on him because right now we're down – Overall, we're down $54.70. This past card, I lost $26, hypothetically. Whew. Not doing too hot, right? I'll try to get those numbers out of the red. I think as it goes out, it'll get better. These have been some rough picks. and Honestly, this is going to be a rough year for picking. I think there's a lot of really good matchups, including the ones coming up this weekend. And I think we're starting to see there's going to be a lot of fights where the skill gap isn't that evident. A lot of sorting out going to be going on and stuff, and a lot of really high-level matchups, so it makes guessing tough. It makes it fun, but it makes it tough. All right, so let's go back through the card. Like I said, it just happened this past weekend in uh, Glendale, Arizona, and the first fight up was Casey versus Watterson. And in a fight, it, th- this was one of my favorite fights of the evening. I thought it had a lot of really nice transitions on the ground. It had its fair share of stand-up, a little bit of back and forth, right? Casey got, I can't remember how the rounds went exactly. My memory's too fucked up. But I remember it being a good fight regardless, and there being some moments where I was like, oh, Casey's really getting the better of her, but Michelle impressed me. More, She was aggressive. She did well, and really dealt with the pressure that Casey tries to put on people. She did a good job of mitigating that. It was a fantastic performance, and I think for Michelle, she's probably going to fight a girl like Felice Herrig next. Um, and for Casey, I think a nice fight would be Cynthia Calvillo, who I also believe is coming off a loss. I think that'd be a fun matchup to watch. Because Casey's good, like, I think how V is more known for jiu-jitsu, right? I, I, admittedly, I'm, I mean, I need to brush up on a lot of the women's fights, right? They're just newer, and I just don't know, I'm not like, I don't know as much about all of them. I can't remember as much all about it. And there's a lot of sorting out going on, and it feels like they've all lost to each other. Like, I know who they all are, I just, the fights all get cluttered in my mind for some reason, you know, because I can't remember who beat who. I don't know. Because like I said, women's MMA is relatively new, so there's a lot of like, you're, we're starting to see some really elite people going up. And Rose is a great example of how how much a person can progress in the sport. Like, the the improvements that she's made in the past few years have been outstanding. It's n- Honestly, it's nothing short of incredible how fast she catches on to things and how much she's improved since her debut against Carla Esparza. I think it was her UFC debut, right? In the tough finale. Man, she's a she's an animal now, and she's a completely different fighter. She's very competent on her feet. Not that she was never incompetent, but she relied a lot more heavily on grappling, grappling and she just won a stand-up war with Joanna a couple weekends ago. But my point is, is that these girls fight each other a lot, and it's still figuring itself out. Um, I think there's a lot of... Like I said, there are a couple examples of elite, but I think right now they're all kind of cluttered in the same pool. It'll it'll change. It'll kind of get more like the men's as it goes on, but right now it's it's newer. I mean, I know it's been around for a while, but it's still developing, and I think we're starting to see more women, more like athletic women. Not that women in MMA now aren't athletic, but I'm saying like girls coming over with backgrounds in other sports are going to start transitioning into MMA. Like bringing, we're going to start seeing extreme athletes in women entering MMA. We have some now. I'm not saying we don't. I'm just saying I think it'll be more commonplace. We're seeing it with the men too. And that it's it's relatively new with the men too, right? Like a lot of the times you see wrestlers or people with really strong MMA backgrounds, but now we're starting to see some people get out of uh, college or a lot of college like football players are coming in. We're starting to see them transition into MMA and catching on pretty well because they're athletic as fuck, right? If you can teach, if they can, you know their body can do it. It's just whether their mind is gonna have that. Because I think it's a mentality change too. I think the grind and fighting is a little bit. That constant in the gym hitting pads and jujitsu and wrestling and constantly just trying to beat up another person. It's a different kind of mentality than you have to have for certain sports, right? 
football kind of has the same mentality, but it's also different. It's not, it's not exactly the same. The closest thing to it would probably be a line. And I'm going on a rant. Anyway, uh, let's move on to the next one. Marvin Vittori versus Adesanya. And with the 185 division, I don't really know the bottom end of it too well. Um, I would, there's a guy, that, they do an article on MMA Junkie. If you're interested in like being the matchmaker, they have like an article titled something, and they do a great job of telling you who people should fight next. But uh, for Adesanya, I don't give him anyone uh, a jump up. Not like I don't know, maybe a top twenty guy. I have no idea. But he didn't. He looked good this past weekend, but it wasn't anything that was like whoa, like blew your mind. Like there were glimpses of it. Like there were glimpses of that brilliance that you know he's capable of bringing. But he, Vittori had really good head movement, and I think. I think his pressure and the constant threat of the takedown it limited Adesanya's striking a little bit and kept him off his guard. And I think he was coming forward when he didn't expect him to. I think there was a lot going on there. I think Adesanya is going to be fine. He's got the talent for it and everything. I think he's a pretty quick learner. I just think that he has to find his rhythm in the cage because it's not the same as kickboxing when no one's threatening you with a double leg. It's different. It's a different kind. It's a different world, and you have to adapt. If he can adapt his striking. Uh, I think he's going to be just fine. But starting to see this last time, like no one's unbeatable, right? Even this guy with this high-level striking background, there are ways to there are ways to put a stop to what he's doing. Even on the feet, Vittori didn't look out of place on the feet at all. But uh, yeah, I'm not too sure what's next for either of these guys. I couldn't pull a name because I don't think Adesanya is ready for anyone. Like I don't even think he's ready for like a David Branch type character. You know what I mean? I, I think he's still sitting outside the top 15 after that performance. Maybe. Someone on the verge of it, but I don't know. I don't think so. I think he needs another fight, and then and then we can start talking about bumping him into the against a ranked fighter. That would make sense. Three in a row with your background, but just not yet. Um, Carlos Condit, man, looked very good in the first round. Took Cowboy Oliveira's back, uh, and then came out in the second and got guillotined and had that. I mean, if you read his. Uh, post on Instagram that he put up after the fight is brutally honest and it kind of kind of gives you perspective on what these fighters go through when they suffer losses like that and you've got a guy in Condit who's lost how many in a row now thought about retirement he's been flirting with the idea but he still wants to do this fighters seem to have a problem of when they get out of fighting that they lose their identity along with it because that's all they've ever done right you're in the gym five hours a day and you're preparing to fight like you're going, you're getting ready to get into a cage and go to war with someone. And when you get out of that, I think there's a sense of loss among a lot of them. And I don't know. I think Condit might be. He, I, I think in Condit's mind, he wants to retire and everything, and he wants to have that like calm life now. Like, okay, it's time to walk away from the sport. But that part of him that is a fighter just keeps coming back. I think that's the case with so many guys. Like, it doesn't want to quit. This is all you know. You got to keep doing it. And sometimes it gets you into trouble. I hope Condit realizes it. I think when your feet are, when you don't know what you want, I think this sport is so full of people who do know what they want and they're young and their bodies aren't beat up yet and they're getting after it. And it's de- like they're developing these crazy techniques. And like Rose, ex- Rose is a perfect example. And another guy that I think of when I think about this is people like Cody Garbrandt and Darren Till. Those guys are animals and they have a lot of ambition. And they're, I mean, Cody, Cody's already held a title. How old is that fucking kid? 26 years old? I mean, goddamn, that's an incredible to be a UFC champion that young. Think about the fact that John Jones won the title when he was 21. Was it 21? Or, regardless, 21 or 22? Could you fucking imagine being a world champion, knocking out Shogun Hua at that? Like, not only are you world champion, but you just beat a legend. And you beat him brutally. The guy's never lost a fight. Think about that. There are how many people on this planet and they haven't found a single one that can beat up John Jones. Whoo! God damn, that guy is an animal. Whatever the fuck Cokie's into and everything. I don't know. All that shit. You can speculate about that all you want, but what I do know is John is an am- I was watching um The Ultimate Fighter that just aired last night. And you look at what I mean, granted, the guy that he was in there training with was a lightweight. But you look at what Daniel Cormier was doing to that kid, like running him around the gym. He was like, I don't know how many times they knocked that poor fucking kid down. He got pissed, took his headgear off and shit and slammed it against the cage. And he's like, you guys are just running right fucking through me. Like you could tell that even in the gym that he came from, that uh, I can't remember the kid's name that they were training for the fight. But uh, you could tell whatever gym he came from, he's never felt anything like that. There are levels to the game, man. And you think about 
the fact that Habib hangs around with a guy like DC in the gym, like they grapple and really go to war according to rumors or whatever. Right. But, uh, my point is you, you get a glimpse of how high level DC is when you're watching that shit. And then you realize that John beat him once and then knocked him out the second time. I mean, wherever DC is, John's right above him and he's right above Gustafson too. I mean, who hasn't he? I don't know how when you talk about the greatest fighter ever, John Jones isn't the guy that you mentioned. Like, I don't know how he's not your pick. And the the argument again, I'm I'm probably going to do a segment on this, but like where I actually like rank them in order, whatever. But my argument against whenever someone says Anderson Silva is the greatest fighter of all time, I, I understand where you're coming from. But Silva, in his career, has shown us flaws. He's prone to wrestling. Granted, he tapped out Chael Sonnen, but Chael Sonnen is susceptible to submissions, right? Um, it's not a huge shocker. The way it happened was a shocker. It was an incredible fight. Like, Chael controlled Silva the whole time. But my point is he controlled him for a full, like, 23 minutes or something like that. And then Weidman kind of exposed some things. Daniel Cormier definitely exposed some things. It's so hard for me to still consider Silva the greatest of all time when he showed me that major flaw, that he has trouble with the wrestling aspect of the game. John has never shown you a flaw, ever. I mean, Gustafson is probably the guy who challenged him the most, and I wouldn't even say that was a flaw. He just got in a war with the guy who was as long as he was and could throw a lot of the same stuff, and John still beat him. I mean, goddamn. I don't know. Mighty Mouse has a good argument because of his title defense. But I think I don't think he's faced the level of competition that John Jones has. I really don't. And the way he wins is impressive. And how dominant, like the fashion that the dominant fashion that he wins is, is super impressive. To me, it's just not enough to like. I, I, here's the other thing. I think that if Demetrius Johnson bumped up to 135, he struggles a little bit against bigger guys. I think if John Jones bumps up to heavyweight, he's immediately a world champion in two weight classes. I really believe that in my heart. I, I think that John Jones beats any anyone on planet Earth. I mean, there's always someone, right, who who's up there that can knock you off your fucking tower, right? But, I mean, Jones is just so fucking good. I'm going on a rant about how good, good John Jones is skipping over who Condit needs to fight next. I think Condit needs to retire. And uh, for Oliveira, I know they fought before. Oh, I'm not saying Cerrone's going to win, but I think they should fight. Oliveira should fight the winner of Cerrone and Leon Edwards. Um the first time they fought was at 155, and he got triangled by Cowboy. But I think Oliver is a different fighter now, more developed fighter. He's dangerous, and I think that's a good test for him, taking the winner of uh, that fight. Leon Edwards would be a good fight for him too. Give us a good gauge where both of those guys are at. And then, uh, man, was Justin Gaethje versus Dustin Poirier one of the best fights you've ever seen or what? That shit was fucking crazy. Justin Gaethje is just an animal and he's always chopping at your legs and he's marching forward and he's always covering up like this and moving his head around and letting you punch him and then he moves back out and then he comes back in like swinging man it's crazy it's this reckless chaos and I don't you don't see a whole lot of people who fight and put out the amount of volume that he does and it was it, it was back and forth it was a good fight but it, it looked like it was starting to lean in Gaethje's favor it looks like it looked like that pressure and the way he was beating up the inside of Poirier's leg was really starting to wear on Dustin and then all of a sudden Dustin pulls out this left hand and you see Gaethje's rock and Dustin just starts pouring it on because Dustin was aggressive the whole fight too it's not like it's not like it was all in Gaethje's favor I mean there were moments where Dustin was really laying, pouring it on him and then when Dustin realized that he had him rocked he just finished the job and God damn, what a fight. I mean, two really tough guys. And Dustin Poirier is one of the best 155-pounders in the world. There's no denying it now. He's a challenger for Khabib. It, like, if Connor, with all this stuff going on with the Dolly and stuff, if Connor gets a foul, I don't know what's going to happen. But if Connor doesn't want to fight Khabib, there's no reason that Dustin Poirier can't. He's 100% capable of beating him. I'm not saying that he will. And I'm not saying that Khabib's given us any reason to doubt him or anything. I'm just saying that if you saw what Dustin just did, and he he beat he basically debatable, but Eddie Alvarez is on his resume. I mean, the guy's fighting top level competition, and he's not losing, and he's finishing people. He's finishing Anthony Pettis. He's finishing Justin Gaethje. He's a fucking animal, and he looks way better at one fifty five than he did one forty five. He's a legit contender, and he could give he could give Habib problems. I have no doubt about it. He's a tough guy. Who anyway for Gaethje? 
anyone. Give him anyone at 155. Doesn't really matter, right? Actually, the loser of this fight this weekend might be a good fight for Gaethje to take. The loser of Barboza and Kevin Lee. I think that fight might make a lot of sense. And then uh, for Dustin Poirier, if he can't get Khabib, if Connor comes back and uh, does end up fighting Khabib for the title, I think that Poirier should probably fight Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson isn't going to set him back any further. It's only going to further validate how good he is. If he wins the title from Habib, he's going to have to fight Tony Ferguson anyway. You might as well just get it over with. Uh, that's an exciting fight. You can mix. I always say this. You can mix and match any like of the top 15, 20 fighters in the 155-pound division, and you've got a scrap on your hands, man. That, that division is just so talent-stacked. And I think it's because to, when I think like that's the optimum size for fighting right it's the point like they have good cardio they have a lot of, they have enough pop in their hands that there's knockout ha- knockouts happen frequently the technique stays crisp because they're not super heavy like they can't lay on you when they're on the ground like they have to transition it's a lot going on that division just seems to it seems to produce the the most it seems to produce the most talent like there's more depth to that division than any other division in the world i think right now um Anyway, uh, yeah, I think Poirier-Ferguson would be a hell of a fight too, wouldn't it? Like, you know that's going to be a barn burner. It's going to be exciting. Um, All right, three takeaways from this past weekend. One we just talked about, Dustin Poirier is a fucking animal. He's a menace. He's a real threat to the title. And if Conor doesn't fight Habib, he absolutely deserves to. I see no reason, especially with how many times the Ferguson and Habib fight has fallen through, Dustin Poirier is absolutely deserving of a title. He has this like incredible balance between chaos and technicality. You know what I mean? It's like this organized chaos and it's just, I don't know. He's, he's figured it out, man. He's exciting to watch and he stays, I mean, he'll get in those brawls, but he's throwing like crisp, sharp punches with precision on them. He's looking really good. I'm really impressed with Dustin Poirier. If you can't fucking tell, um, Another takeaway we just talked about. Actually, I just went on a rant about it as I was going through him. But Cowboy Oliveira is ready for some top-tier competition at 170. He really is. I think he's a high-level guy. We need to get a feel for how good this guy is because, I mean, if you look at him, he's always competitive, always hurting his opponents and stuff. You know what I mean? Landing damage. He's, throws a, he's aggressive. His one flaw is, is he tends to fade a little bit as the rounds fade on. But you can fix that. You can get that cardio up. He's seen a lot of high-level competition already. That guy's a real threat. Seriously. He's gonna—he's very good, and I don't think he's that old. He's got a lot of room to improve. I'm a big fan of his. I like watching him fight. And uh, the other one is Adesanya. Got to do some work, right? Just it's just small, like a transition, right? You just got to get used to... You got to find a method of... You don't have to abandon everything that you've ever learned in kickboxing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying you have to find a path that works for you. Because MMA is a different ball game, and you have to you have to take into account different factors. I think I think if he keeps working at it, it's gonna he's gonna look fine the next fight. Not saying he's not gonna face any adversity or anything like that, but I think Adesanya is gonna be okay. Just ran into a guy that for and sometimes just stylistically, sometimes guys just give you trouble. He might have ran into that with Marvin Vittori. He could go on from here on out and just dominate everyone that he fights. And for whatever reason, this Vittori guy might have just gave him problems. I'm not saying that's going to be the case or anything like that. It might not be. It might be. I don't know. I'm just saying. Sometimes that unstoppable force meets an immovable object, and there's stalemates that happen, right? Who was I? Just I was just watching fights, and I feel like that. Oh, it was the David Branch fight. I forget who he was fighting. I think it was David Branch. His Jotko, maybe. But that was kind of a thing where they just and Wonder Boy and Woodley do it too. Right, the the fights can almost be a little bit boring because they, the styles when they when they for whatever reason when they get in there with each other it's just it's so hard to implement your game plan against the other. So maybe he just ran into that. Anyway, um, we'll find out next fight. Right, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he wants to stay active. All right, let's move on to the UFC Fight Night, Barboza versus Lee dissection. We're gonna. Start with Dan Hooker versus Jim Miller. This is going to be a really good fight. <coughs> Dan Hooker's the guy who has won two in a row, got big wins over Ross Pearson and Mark Diakeshi since moving up to lightweight. He used to fight at 145, and he had a pretty decent record down there. I think he was like 
12 and 6 or something like not great right like room for improvement but he looks he he ran into a guy in jason knight back in november of 2016 and jason knight is an animal man he's got really good muay thai and like kind of fundamental shit not throwing anything real wild or crazy or anything like that but then he's got an incredible ground game he's smothering great in transitions and uh he just kind of outworked him a little bit i think he was a little bit stronger than hooker I think that weight cut down to 145 really took a toll on him. I think Dan Hooker had a hard time with that weight cut because if you look at him now at 155, he looks fucking incredible. He looks way better. He's put a ton of muscle on. He just looks in better shape. He looks healthier. He looks like he belongs at 155. He's long. He's got the frame for it. And like I said, those two two wins that he picked up over Ross Pearson and Mark Dicatchi are big because they're finishes too. Finishes are always good, right? He knocked out Ross Pearson in the second round and then guillotine Mark Diakashi in the third. Um, I think it was a standing guillotine too. Could be, or he caught him in it standing at least. And then, I don't know. But he's going to be fighting Jim Miller, who's 28 and 10, a guy who's obviously a legend. I mean, he's been around since uh, he made his UFC debut at UFC 89 in 2008, 10 fucking years ago. Um He's on a three-fight loss streak right now, but before that, he rattled off three wins in a row. He beat Tiago Alves, Joe Lozon, and Takin Origomi, all, all big names in the sport. But his most three, three recent losses have come uh, against Dustin Poirier in February of 2017, Anthony Pettis in July of 2017, and then he dropped the unanimous decision to Francisco Trinaldo in October of 2017. So these are all, I mean, big names and really tough fights, and... I mean, we were just talking about how good Dustin Poirier is, right? Um, he Miller's the guy who's just getting older, right? And I think he's running into these young fighters who are really getting after it and stuff. And not that he's not. I'm not uh, Jim Miller gives everyone a tough fight. I mean, there's no there's no easy fight when you get told that you're going to be fighting Jim Miller. You know you're going to be in for a fucking long night, win or lose. He's an animal, and he's always competitive just having trouble picking up some wins over some of these higher-level guys. And this is going to be an interesting matchup because Jim Miller fights really well when he's got his head down and his hands up and he's marching forward and fighting aggressively. He fights really well that way. And that's usually where he finds a lot of his success, but Dan Hooker is the guy who finds a lot of his success fighting while moving backwards and slipping out of the way of punches. and he has to, He'll slide out of the way and step in with a straight left. And he he hits it really well. I mean, he was hitting that left hand a lot when he was fighting even Jason Knight and Ross Pearson. He's really good with it, and he's really creative. Uh, it's gonna. This is gonna be. This is gonna be a question of whether Jim Miller is going to be able to power through those counters and stuff and keep the fight in close and maybe take it to the ground. I don't think this fight is gonna end in a knockout either way. I think Jim Miller is a little bit too tough, and. I think that Dan Hooker's defensive jiu-jitsu is going to be enough to keep him safe against Miller on the ground. But I think if Miller gets on top of Hooker, it's going to wear him out, man. That's a, that's a, that's a hard guy to have on you. Miller's a high-level black belt. And I don't know what Hooker is. I don't know what he's ranked, but I can guarantee his jiu-jitsu is probably not quite what Jim Miller's is. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see if Hooker can hit those counters and stuff as Miller's coming in because you know Miller's going to fight aggressively. Uh, I'm taking Hooker by decision, but this fight could go either way. Uh, Like I said, if Miller can really close the distance and land some shots and mix up his takedowns, I think he has a good chance to win this fight. It's going to be, it's all going to come down to whether Hooker's countering him and making him pay for pressure. All right, next we have number eight ranked Aljamain Sterling and Brett Johns, who's ranked number 14 going at it in a bantamweight bout. Aljamain Sterling dropped a lost a, a brutal knockout loss to Marlon Moraes. Moraes is an animal, man. But just a rough go of things. I mean, he got hit with a big left hand, I think it was, too early in the round. But then he got back up and went for a shot that I think he telegraphed a little bit. And Marlon Moraes made a great read and put a knee on his fucking head as he was coming in. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, it knocked him right out. Um, but before that, he beat Henan Barrow. And Augusto Mendez, and the, the Henan Barrow victory is a big one because Henan Barrow's a former world champion. And granted, I know Barrow's had his struggles of late, but he's still no easy task. He's not just a gimme fight. Um, Sterling's a, he's offensive off of his back. He's aggressive off of his back. He's okay with being on the bottom. He's comfortable there. Um, and 
He's guy was a wrestling background too, so he he mixes up takedowns and stuff pretty well. He was an All American. I mean, it wasn't Division One; it was Division Three. But regardless, he's got wrestling experience, right? Like he knows what the fuck he's doing in there. And uh, Brett Johns is fifteen and zero, and he's coming off that big win over Joe Soto, where he hit him with a calf slicer with thirty seconds. I think the guy uh, Soto, I think he shot for a single leg and put his head on the outside, and it allowed Johns to reach down and just fall back and lock it up. It was fucking crazy. You almost didn't even know it was happening because you never see that kind of shit in the UFC. So big win for him, and it was his first finish in the UFC too, I believe. I think he has three UFC fights to his credit. Before that, he beat Albert Moraes and Quan Ho Kwok, uh, and he's got a pretty grappling-heavy approach. Uh, for that reason, I'm taking Sterling. I think that Sterling's background in those grappling and, and being in that Sarah Longo camp and experiencing the knowledge of Matt Sarah every fucking day, like what he has to offer to your jiu-jitsu game, I, I think that Sterling's going to be fine on the ground, and I think that's John's best place to win. Because Sterling uses a lot of funky head movement and throws these he, – he's accurate with his punches. He's really hard to – he's a hard guy to fight, and he's a hard guy to hit because, like I said, he's got pretty good head movement. Marlon Moraes would argue otherwise, right? He fucking whopped him upside the head, but – Still, Sterling's a tough guy. He moves around well, and uh, I like him in this fight. I think this is going to be John's, uh, Brett Johns' first loss, but I, I could see Johns winning too. If Johns wants to win, I think he has to make it a gritty fight, like get him up against the, fa- the cage and keep him there. You know what I mean? Get, land some takedowns and stuff. I don't think you want to deal with the range that Aljamain Sterling has because he's a pretty lengthy dude. I think he can dot you up from distance, but uh, if you're Brett Johns, if you can try to rely on your grap- your, t- your grappling – and stay on top and kind of get a win that way. I think he's got a good chance. But like I said, I just think Sterling's really good on the ground. He's impressive. And I think that I think that Sterling is going to be a little bit better than Johns in Johns' best area, if that makes sense. Like I think he's going to give Johns – I think Johns is probably expecting to have a grappling advantage, and I think Sterling is going to give him more trouble than he's expecting. We'll see, though. Like I said, if I'm John's, try to get top. Try to take top pressure on it. I don't know. I'm not the fucking coach, right? He ain't going to listen to me. All right, number eight ranked David Branch is 21-4, and four, and he is fighting number 11 ranked Tiago Santos, who is on a tear right now. He's on a four-fight win streak. Um, and I, I know his last three have been knockouts. Uh, most recently, Anthony Smith, second-round TKO. Before that, Jack Hermanson, first-round TKO. Before that, Jared Mearshirt. Second round TKO. Whoo, one after another, right? And he's aggressive, man. And he's a he, he used to practice capoeira. Uh, he's a paratrooper for the Brazilian Army. Twelve of his seventeen wins have come by way of knockout, and he's got thirteen fights in the UFC. So he's got a lot of experience under his belt, man. This is this shit's not new to him. And uh, David Branch most recently lost to Luke Rockhold in Pittsburgh. Uh, had Luke rocked pretty bad early in that first round. I don't think it was terrible. I think Luke recovered all right, but, I mean, he had him hurt. He was definitely in some trouble and ended up losing. He tapped the strikes, right? I remember him getting I remember him getting beat up on the ground because Rockwood has such a strong top game. When he gets on top of you, it's probably from being with DC and Habib all day, right, learning some of the tricks from those fucking guys. I'm sure you get pretty goddamn good at being on top of people. Or being on the bottom, right? You got to learn to survive with those guys on you. Uh, but before that, he beat Christoph Joko in a pretty uh, kind of, I don't know. I hate to say boring because I know what these guys put into their camps and everything, but it wasn't the most exciting fight in the world, right? Like I said, this is an example of those guys just kind of canceling each other out. Picked up a split decision. Wouldn't have been disappointed if it went either way. But uh, before that, he beat Lewis Taylor in World Series of Fighting 34 in December of 2016. I think he went in. It, at like World Series of Fighting 1, he's been with the organization up until 2017 when he signed with the UFC. Um, he was a two-division champion over there, both light heavyweight and middleweight. He's got a really strong backling grap- back- <laughs> grappling background. Uh, he's got seven submission wins on his resume. And before he lost to Luke Rockhold, he was on an 11-fight win streak. David Branch is really good, man. Make no mistake. He just ran into a guy in Luke Rockhold who was an animal. That shows you how good fucking Yoel Romero is, right? Because I always thought when I was watching Rockhold fight that we were watching the best 185er we've ever seen. I mean, I know he has his flaws and he's been knocked out, but just his 
I mean, the things that that guy is capable of doing, I don't think we've ever seen anything like it at 185. And Romero said, well, fucking watch this. Knocked him the fuck out, right? Prove me wrong. Uh, Romero's an animal. And that, and then think about how good Robert Whitaker is because he beat Romero. I know that shit doesn't always add up, but still. Robert Whitaker is a goddamn machine. Um, anyway, back to David Branch. Point is, he's really good and he has a ton of experience, right? A little bit of an older guy. He's 21 and 4. Been around the game for a while. Um, I'm actually taking him in this fight. I think that Santos is going to be over-aggressive, and it's going to be enough for Branch to get on top of him and kind of wear him out. I think he might have to do that a couple times because I think Santos is going to use a lot of explosion. Like I said, he's aggressive, and I think you're going to have trouble keeping him on the ground at first. That's where, you, that's where it's going to be dangerous for David Branch. That's where the fight's going to be dangerous when Santos gets back to his feet. You can't get depressed by that. You just got to keep grinding and getting after him because he's really he has a serious knockout power. You got to stay away from that shit. I don't like David Branch winning a stand-up fight here. If it turns into that, I think the fight's going to go to Santos. But I think David Branch comes out and maybe fights a, kind of another boring fight where you have to shut down the strengths of this guy. This guy's like a fucking raging bull, and you kind of got to play matador. He's charging at you. Just get out of his way and let him wear himself out and then get him up against the fence, take him down. You know, get put an end to all that energy that's coming at you because it's going to be coming at you hard and fast. You got to wear that shit out or you're going to be in for a long night. Santos hits hard, man. Really hard. Would not want to be standing in front of that guy. And he's on a tear right now, so he's riding that momentum. You got to shut all that shit down. He's going to be coming and wound up. I think it's going to be a good fight. I think it's going to be interesting to see if David Branch is going to be be able to deal with the aggressiveness of Santos. We'll see. We'll find out. That's a fun fight. Uh, next, Justin Willis is fighting Chase Sherman. Sherman's a guy who's got three UFC fights. He most recently lost to Shamil Abdur Madoff. Is that right? Abdurakamov? I don't know. I'm going to butcher it. I already did. Anyway, Sherman has really good footwork, and he used to play offensive tackle in college at Delta State University. Uh, he picks up most of his wins by knockout, and he, do, he has good footwork, but he hangs that chin in the air a little bit, and it bugs me. He does it all the I, I notice it a lot, and he gets cracked sometimes. Um, but before he lost that fight by knockout in the first round, he beat Damian Grabowski and Rashad Coulter. Um, like I said, athletic guy. Um, and he's fighting Justin Willis, who's six and one. Justin Willis lost his pro debut, and he's won six in a row since. He beat Alan Crowder, James Muleron, and Julian Coutinho. Muleron he beat by unanimous decision. Used his wrestling, mixed his takedowns in really well. And Alan Crowder he knocked out in the first round. And Justin Willis is going to be a guy who you're going to see, and you're going to go, "What the fuck?" Because he's a big guy, and he doesn't look like he's in shape. But he moves so well. He's so agile on his feet. And he's got beautiful head movement. He's so smooth. Like if you saw that guy walking down the street and he he just started, you, you would be shocked to see him move the way that he does. I'm very impressed with how his striking is so smooth. And I really think it's going to be too much for Sherman whose head stays stiff when he moves on his feet. Good footwork. But I think Justin Willis is just... He's going to be sliding out of the way of those punches and coming in with big bombs that are going to catch Sherman in those exchanges. Willis is an animal, man. That's what you look for in, I mean, future world champions. He's an athlete, too. He used to play lineman for San Jose State University. Um, he's very relaxed. He's calm. He has like a veteran-savvy presence when he's in there. I'm a big fan of this guy, man. I'm excited to see what he can do in the UFC, and I think he's going to pick up the win. Sherman's a tough guy though, and when you, when heavyweights start throwing their fucking hands around, it's kind of it's kind of dumb to take a guess at who's gonna win, right? Because you never fucking know if one of those guys land, could turn the lights off. They just hit so motherfucking hard. Imagine getting cracked by one of those guys. Fuck that. Like imagine getting a knockdown with like Cain Velasquez, and he just punches you in the fucking mouth, or Francis Ngannou, or Anthony Johnson since he started like bodybuilding. What if they? What if you were just standing there and they just punched you in the mouth? Do you know how fucking bad that would hurt? They might kill you. Francis and Ganu, if you weren't weren't doing anything to defend it, it might detach your fucking spine somehow. He hit so fucking hard. Anthony Johnson too. Remember how when Anthony Johnson fought guys like who did he fight Glover Teixeira when he I think he knocked his tooth out and oh my god the way he knocked out Alexander Gustafson. 
Whoo! And now he just lifts all the time. He's massive. Jesus Christ. I'm getting scared just thinking about it. Let's fucking, let's move on. All right. Um, one of the things I think Sherman needs to do, fighting a guy like Willis, is use leg kicks. You got to limit that mobility. Limit his movement. Because he. I'm telling you, you're going to see this guy move, and you're going to be like, wow, man, he moves like a smaller guy, like a 170. It's, it's weird to watch, man, but it's fun. I'm excited for that fight. I think we're going to see a knockout in that fight either way. I don't think that fight's going to go the distance. I think uh, I think by nature, Sherman's so aggressive that he's either going to go get a knockout or he's going to leave himself up and do a counter. You know what I mean? I don't think that fight's going to go. I don't think that makes it the full three rounds. Anyway, let's move on to the co-main event between Frankie Edgar, who's going to be fighting in his own backyard against Cub Swanson. Uh, Edgar's ranked number three as of right now, just suffered that brutal lo- knockout loss to Brian Ortega where he got uppercutted and like lifted off his feet. And he looked pretty good the whole first round, right? And when I think Ortega hit him with an elbow and you could see his knees go and then he just patiently waited and hit him with that uppercut. Frankie does such a good, so he like scrambles and survives in these situations where he looked like he's in serious danger and in real trouble of the fight being stopped. And Ortega didn't play into that and get into a mad scramble with him. He just waited and picked the shot. And when it landed, man, it, it did the job. Uh, but before that, Frankie picked up a win over Yair Rodriguez. And t- t- TKO, right? Doctor stoppage. He just couldn't go on after the second round. He beat him up pretty bad. And before that, he had a unanimous decision win over Jeremy Stevens at UFC 205 at MSG. Um, guy who I, I'm going to tell you right now that I'm picking Frankie. I'm, I'm never, I don't care who Frank Yeager fights. I'm going to pick him in every single fight. I don't have a lot of favorites that I play in the UFC. Like, I like all the guys. I like watching them fight. But Frank Yeager went to Clarion and everything. So, and I just think he's exciting. And he's one of the guys that I've, he's been around since I, when I started watching. Right? He's held the belt at 155. He's, uh, he's an animal. And I think he's one of the more underappreciated fighters in MMA. He doesn't get, he doesn't get all the shit that he, I watched a documentary on him on Flow Grappling and, Man, he doesn't – I guess they turned him down for the ultimate fighter when he tried out for it because he didn't have a personality for it. Isn't that fucked up? I mean, I guess it's a TV show, right? But you just think of the talent that – I mean, thank God he made it to the UFC because he's an incredible talent. And we've got to see him fight some of the best guys in the world and the majority of the time he comes out on top, right? Not all of them, but goddamn, I love Frankie Edgar. And his fights are always fun. He has a style that's fun. He's always moving. He's you know, his head's always moving. He's got really good, like clean boxing. Doesn't do anything real fancy. It's fundamentals, but they're like perfected fundamentals. And his wrestling is really high level. His shots are quick. Things. Are, he's he's good everywhere, man. I'm a big fan of Frankie. I like the way he fights. And I'm not just, you know what I mean. I don't just love him because he went to Clarion. I mean that's part of the reason, right? It's kind of cool that he went to the same college as me, but. Just watching that guy fight, it's it's always a relentless pace. If you watch him in the fifth round, he looks the same as he does in the first. And it should be noted, too, that he fought Cub Swanson four years ago and absolutely mauled him. Um, <laughs> I don't mean to be sitting here like just being biased against Frankie the whole time. I love Cub Swanson. He has a, absolutely has a chance to win this fight, especially with the knockout loss that Frankie just suffered. That's brutal, and Frankie's never been finished before. A lot of the times you'll see people get knocked out, and it opens up the floodgates. I mean, you just hit a button on him. It happened to, like, Chuck Liddell. It just, for whatever reason, your chin goes downhill. It's not what it used to be. It's made of glass instead of iron. I'm not saying that's going to happen to Frankie. I'm just saying we've seen it happen before. And Cub's a really high-level striker, and he could expose that. He's also gotten his black belt since then, I think, so he's made strides on the ground that might allow him to be a little more aggressive off his back if Frankie puts him in position. I think he'll be able to deal with the positions on the ground a little bit better than the last time. But... I still think Frankie's going to be too much for him. I really do. I think that if Cub wants to win, he has to utilize his range and really string combos together, but I think Frankie's just going to do kind of the same thing that he did last time. And it's only three rounds. So it's not like you have a lot of time to put a, like an – it's not like you can accumulate damage over like three rounds and start capitalizing on the damage if you're Cub in the fourth and fifth and really hope that like Frankie's – You've been dotting them up. You might be getting beat up in the process, but you're really hitting them with some stuff, and you can make that big shot pay off in the fourth or fifth. I don't think that's going to happen, though. Not with it being a three-round fight. I'd still pick Frankie in a five-round fight because I know the pace that he's able to able to keep up. But 
in a three round fight, I'm a hundred. I'm taking him every time against everyone at one fifty five or one forty five. I'm sorry. Do I think he's better than Max Holloway? I don't know, but I'm, I would pick him. But I love Max Holloway too, right? Like I don't want to see either of those guys lose that fight if they fight. But I don't know, man. Frankie doesn't get all the credit he deserves sometimes i feel bad for the guy sometimes man he's one of the, he i think he's a hall of famer no doubt anyway moving on number four ranked edson barboza is headlining the card against number seven ranked kevin lee uh edson barboza most recently lost to habib and kevin lee most recently lost to tony ferguson when he got triangled but to- kevin lee looked really good in that ferguson fight didn't he and then you find out he has staff and you can call it an excuse all you want but i think that staff infection man that's that's got to make things rough on you. I've heard that drains your body of any energy that you have. It, uh, 100% it was tough to fight with that. And 100% it affected his performance. He looked good early. Mounted Tony was beaten up on him. Had the fight pretty close to, I don't think close to being stopped, but you were like, oh shit, like if he can maintain this, it's going to be over relatively soon. Kevin, he's an animal. And he's 16 and 4. He's still really young. I think he's 24, 25, 26, somewhere in there. A lot of room to grow. And before that, he remember he hit the rear naked choke on Michael Chiesa where Chiesa's like hands were floating, but he didn't tap and Yamasaki stopped it. I think I think that it, personally, I think the Chiesa was going to go out either way. But I mean, if I'm the ref, I'm waiting until he passes out or until the tap comes. I don't think he stopped that fight prematurely for any reason. It always leaves doubt, and it does no good for either fighter. But I count that it, I do count that as a legitimate win for Kevin Lee. I think he was going to win the fight regardless of whether Yamasaki stopped it then or not. But the point is, he just let it play out. But uh, he did the same thing to Francisco Trinado before that in the second round. He goes for a lot of rear naked chokes, and he has a re- he's at really creative ways of finding the back. He's good at getting there. He's got a strong wrestling background, wrestled at Grand Valley State University, and he's got an explosive shot. I mean, it's fast. I always say the way – one of the things to me that made the Tony Ferguson and Habib Nurmagomedov fight so interesting is that Kevin – I think we saw Kevin Lee have some success taking Tony down and assume that Habib would do the same thing. But the way they get people down are completely different. Kevin Lee is has this explosive, hard to stop shot, and he's coming through. He's driving through your legs, and Habib can do that too. But I think that I think Kevin's even more explosive than he is. Khabib though puts you up against the fence and really grinds you out. That cage is his best friend. Um, but that makes this fight with Edson Barboza really interesting for Kevin Lee because Barboza is a guy who he utilizes that range really well, and he's got excellent kicks. That remember that, who do you hit that spinning back kick against? Beautiful, either way, right? I mean, the guy is just probably one of the best kickers, undoubtedly one of the best kickers in the UFC. He's got an awesome resume. I mean, he lost to Habib most recently, and he got kind of dominated, right? But, but he's beat Benel Dariush, Gilbert Melendez. Uh, he's got a loss to Tony Ferguson. Uh, he beat Paul Felder. He has lost to Michael Johnson. Uh, he's beat Danny Castillo. Benil Dariush, like I said, Anthony Pettis, man. He's a... He's, very high level fighter deserving of being in the top five of that division i think um strong muay thai background and i think this this fight's going to be interesting because kevin lee likes to use range too he uses the jab a lot um sets up his shots really well with the striking it's going to be like i said i think if you're kevin lee in this fight you have a really you're wrestling you have a really strong wrestling background use it and do what khabib did don't try to shoot in from far away because Barboza hits those fucking crazy knees when people are coming in from takedowns. And he's like, he's able to generate power and force so quickly. It's almost abnormal. It's freakishly fast. And he doesn't telegraph it at all. It's just like, boom. Like, I, I, was it Benil Dariush who shot that takedown on him? And he just went, boom, cracked him with the knee as soon as he came in on it, man. It's You don't want to shoot from distance on this guy or you don't want to shoot. T- if you shoot takedowns, that you're telegraphing, you're going to pay for it. Push this guy up against the fence, make it nasty, land some shots in the clinch, and then take him down and wear him out. I don't have anyone highlighted for this fight because I don't know what game plan is going to follow. I think if Kevin tries to keep this fight at a distance, he's going to get picked apart by a better striker. And I think that his wrestling gets negated a little bit if it stays at a distance. If I'm Kevin Lee, this fight goes to the fence, and I'm grinding him out. 
because you know you can put pressure on people and you might even be able to take his back or something. You have that wrestling background. Use it. Just don't, don't use, don't shoot those shots in the middle of the octagon. I think they're dangerous against a guy like Barboza, and I think Khabib showed you how to beat this guy. Why change it? You, I think Kevin Lee's capable of doing that kind of shit. Maybe not at the level that Habib is, but I guarantee you that having Kevin Lee on top of you is no fucking fun, no matter how good you are. He's a high-level guy, man. He's a promising prospect, and I thought it, his the, when he took Mount over Tony Ferguson, that kind of told you everything. That's no joke. That's I, Tony Ferguson has an incredible bottom game. He's a black belt in 10th planet jiu-jitsu under Eddie Bravo. He's an animal, and for Kevin Lee to mount him and sustain a position of dominance for as long as he did against him is very impressive. This kid has a lot of promise, and I'm excited to see how he looks coming off of that loss. I think he's going to look good. I, th- I, th- I think I'm going to go with Kevin Lee on this. Barboza, if it stays in distance, but I think Lee's going to be smart. And if he does shoot those explosive-type takedowns in the middle of the cage, I don't think he's going to – I think he is going to be smart enough to set things up. And his striking's effective enough that he can do that on Barboza. Stick to your fundamentals. Don't get fancy with that motherfucker. He'll probably win that battle, but stick to what you know. I think Kevin's got a good shot to win this fight and jump up into the top five and start talking about fighting some of the elite fighters in this game. He's already fought one of them, right? Came out on the bottom, but I think that's a good learning experience for him too. Like I said, he's young. I'm a big Kevin Lee fan, man. All right, so to recap, we'll go through these just real quick. Dan Hooker over Jim Miller. I think his length is going to be a problem and his youth. Aljamain Sterling over Brett Johns. I just think that Brett Johns, what he's going to have to offer isn't going to be enough to overcome what Sterling knows, especially training with guys like Sarah and having Weidman and them around to brush on your, brush up your wrestling. I think it's going to be a little bit, and I think Sterling's going to win this fight on the feet a lot. Or maybe kind of prove a point and take uh, Johns down and start working him from the top a little bit using some of that wrestling background. Uh, I'm taking David Branch over Tiago Santos. I'm looking for David Branch to fight a really smart fight, kind of a slower-paced fight. Wear Santos out. doesn't have to be flashy or fun. Might not make a lot of – might not gain a lot of fans by fighting that way, but I think it's a f- smart fight to fight against an uber-aggressive guy who could absolutely knock you out at any given moment. So I don't think he's a guy that you want to just stand in front of and trade with. I'm taking Justin Willis over Chase Sherman just based off movement. I think Justin Willis moves a little bit better than Chase, and I think he, use, he moves his head a lot more for sure. There's just a smoothness to him. I keep saying that, but if you tune into the fights, you're going to see it. It's <laughs> almost shocking. Uh, I'm taking Frankie Edgar over Cub Swanson. Not only because uh, I'm going to pick him in every fight, like I said, but I really do believe he's going to win this fight. Like Deep down, I think he's going to beat Cub again. I think he's just too much for him, and stylistically, it's a bad matchup for Cub. If your Cub keep this fight at the distance, utilize your length and pick, t- pick him apart, it's been proven to you that this guy can be finished. Go out and do it. Um, and I'm taking Kevin Lee over Barboza because I think Kevin Lee is going to be able to use some wrestling to mitigate what Edson Barboza is able to do. Edson Barboza is one of those guys who requires space and distance in order to utilize his tools. I think Kevin Lee is going to be able to put a stop to a lot of that. We'll see, though. That's it. Edson Barboza is lightning fast, and he could knock you out at any given moment, right? So... I don't count anyone out in any fight, and this one is no different. Edson Barboza could absolutely keep this at a – he put on a striking clinic against Kevin Lee. This is probably the highest level striker Kevin Lee's ever seen, pure striker. And, I'm a, like, just striking credentials alone. I know Tony Ferguson is a high-level striker. He beat up – I mean, he beat Edson Barboza, right? He tapped him out, but he hung with him on his feet. I just think that from a pure striking perspective, this is the highest level that Lee's ever seen. It's going to be – interesting to see if he deals with it or not all right guys i think that wraps things up thank you for tuning in and i will catch you later good night